8, 7, 6, 5. You have discovered the 542 and the Blue Podcast, discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher, 4, 3, 2, 1. Thanks again, Victoria. Today's podcast on 542 in the Blue, we're going to be discussing Asheville, North Carolina of 1906. More specifically, the five homicides that occurred in a 10-minute rampage downtown Asheville at that time frame and the investigation and the manhunt that occurred and how it was reported in local media sources. The murderer, Will Harris, if you go on any of the downtown tours or take the ghost tour downtown, I'm sure that you will hear about Will Harris, especially when you go past the Vance Monument. There's some really good history and good good information with that, and I really would suggest that if you have the opportunity, take one of the tours. The murderer Will Harris is quoted as saying before he was shot by an avenging public, quote, I come from hell, from Charlotte, from state prison, and from the chain gang, and I'm surely going back to hell sooner rather than later. The last words, supposedly, of a gentleman by the name of Will Harris, who arrived in Asheville by train for this particular event, November 12, 1906. His reputation did precede him. He was in his late 20s, not quite yet 30 years old. He had a very well-known criminal record that cast a long shadow of theft, robbery, assault, and prison escapes. Uh, he was incarcerated in Raleigh and made a daring escape that was quite quite interesting in itself. He had an accomplice stack bricks around him while he laid in the back of a wagon. Uh, the bricks were made by prisoners there at the central prison or the prison facility in Raleigh. Harris left the prison disguised as a brick basically just having them stacked up around him around him like a normal stack and he rode right out of prison now when this occurred and because of the escape and these other activities he were was involved with in Charlotte he was officially named an outlaw now at that time frame in the state of North Carolina if you were deemed by the court or a judge or the governor as being an outlaw basically that gave police law enforcement or citizens the right to basically shoot you on sight and take you in kind of a dead or alive type deal harris was captured outside of charlotte and returned to prison he was then placed on a felon uh, chain gang and he did that for a while until yes he escaped once more This time he headed to Asheville. Possibly this was the first time that Harrison came to Asheville, at least that's the documentation that I was able to find. He was declared an outlaw by Mecklenburg County for the escape and some other activities there. A $2,000 reward was again put up by the governor's office and the prison itself, the warden, and other private companies that he had uh, made negative impacts on. Hearing of the arrival of the infamous Will Harris, Asheville City is said to have hired his first African-American detective, Mr. Van Griffin. 
for the sole purpose of tracking Harris down after the uh, convict had escaped from the chain gang. Now this is according to a very good book by uh, Mr. Robert Terrell, or Bob Terrell. I uh, had the opportunity to meet him before he passed away. Fascinating man, and if you have the opportunity to read any of his books, I would highly suggest them. Griffin quickly arrested Harris, located him, and brought him into justice, and he was taken and placed in the Buncombe County Jail, where, guess what, uh, he escaped again. Van Griffin went and located him once more and hauled him back to justice a second time. This time the court sends him back immediately to prison in Raleigh, which, guess what, he escaped again. He cut his sentence short, disregarding the fact that the gentleman that captured him the last two times, Mr. Van Griffin, his jurisdiction being the city of Asheville, Harris decided to return, where he hoped to find an old girlfriend that he had met there, a Molly Maxwell. The railroad had arrived in Asheville around 1880. Uh, the fresh air, cool summer nights, the beautiful mountain scenery attracted a lot of wealthy vacationers who were looking for a moment of mountain paradise off the beaten path. Among those in 1906, was Mr. John Roebling II. Of course, the Roebling family, the builders of the Brooklyn Bridge and other major ironworks and bridge works throughout the United States at that time. And of course, Mr. George Vanderbilt, grandson of Cornelius Vanderbilt, the steamship and railroad magnet. Uh, Mr. George Vanderbilt, his son, built the, the famous Biltmore House a 250-room castle on the edge of the southern part of the city of Asheville. And it's considered to have lent a former frontier town an element of gentility. Gentility? Harris arrived in town with a pocket full of cash, most likely from his ill-gotten gains and illegal enterprises. First thing he wanted to do was, of course, get a drink. The next day, he got up and then went and spent his ill-gotten gains as, quote, a man who knew his tomorrows had run out, according to one writer in the press at that time. He paid about $35 for a Savage 303 high-powered rifle, purchasing this at Finkelstein's Pawn Shop on Pack Square. Now, if you like, you can still go to Finkelstein's downtown Asheville. The business is still operating today. And I personally have bought several firearms from them myself. Great staff. I've known several of the people that live there and there's a lot of history with that business. Farther down the street after he had bought his 303 Savage rifle, he picked up a, a shirt, pants, a set of overalls, and a pair of tan shoes spending about as much as he had paid for for the rifle. Remember, this is 70 bucks, 1906 money. When the body was recovered, after Harris had been tracked down, uh, he was wearing all of the clothes at the same time, uh, more than likely for ease of carrying and for warmth as it was November and he was sleeping outside. After buying his new clothes, he made another purchase of alcohol, buying a $3 jug of bourbon. Then 
he went in search of his old girlfriend, but finding out that she had moved to Hendersonville, he settled on his girlfriend's sister, Pearl Maxwell, as a more viable romantic alternative. At the coroner's inquest, Miss Maxwell, Pearl Maxwell, stated that she had cooked Harris a meal, yet warned him that she had expected her boyfriend, Mr. Tooney Johnson, at 11 o'clock that night. Uh, Harris became more belligerent with the more that he drank, of course. And by the time Johnson arrived, this, the escapee was drunk and would not be run off by the threat of the smaller in stature, Mr. Johnson. When confronted by Harris and the rifle, Johnson retreated to the police station that was less than a block away. After reporting he had been assaulted and his girlfriend was being held against her will, the officers responded and he warned them as they left him, he's drunk, he'll kill somebody, unquote. Be careful. Captain John Page and Officer Charles Blackstock took the call and responded to uh, Miss Maxwell's apartment located behind the police station. Hearing the commotion outside, Harris grabbed his 303 rifle and fired a shot through the wooden door. This round caught Officer Blackstock square in the chest and killing him. A second shot through the wall with the 303 struck Captain Page in the right arm, totally disabling it and forcing Captain Page to return fire with his weak hand, his left hand. Seeing that Blackstock was down and unresponsive, the captain returned to the police station looking for more backup and, of course, more ammunition, having emptied his revolver at Will Harris as he was running away. Harris slipped out through the house and headed to the business district of downtown Asheville, going west on Eagle Street to what is today Billmore Avenue shooting individuals and firing at anything that caught his eye as he moved. He shot and killed a Mr. Benjamin Addison, an African-American shopkeeper who just happened to step outside and of his establishment. He shot a Mr. Walter Copering, another African-American citizen who was walking home from work when he rounded the corner and was greeted with a fatal blast from the 303 Savage. A third gentleman, Mr. Tom Neal, was shot and killed as he stood up on his front porch on Eagle Street after hearing the shots and all the commotion. Uh, seeing the movement, Harris shot and uh, killed Mr. Neal uh, almost instantaneously. The wounded Captain Page grabbed up another officer, Officer James Bailey, and they ran towards the shooting and exchanged gunfire with the killer. James Bailey, Officer Bailey, was fatally wounded and the fifth and final victim of this 10-minute rampage. Officer Bailey took cover behind a light pole. Harris shot Officer Bailey through the wooden post as Bailey fired at him with a newly obtained 32 caliber pistol. After shooting Officer Bailey and attempting to shoot Captain Page, the rounds from the 30-30 rifle hitting the Vance Monument and scarring it permanently. These scars can be still be seen today. Harris ran and made it to the woods at the edge of town and disappeared. By daybreak, a massive amount of over 300 revenge-minded men gathered on the town square. 
police organized these individuals into about a dozen posses, according to the media, and they were armed with 125 guns borrowed from the pawn shop and a hardware store, according to historian Robert Terrell, Bob Terrell. One of the local newspapers, the Gazette News, proclaimed, quote, There is little reason to resort to mob violence. The mob spirit will be utterly lacking here, unquote, which is interesting. The New York papers had a different take on it. Uh, New York, the New York City newspapers uh, were attracted to the story and received the information by telegraph, mainly due to the presence of Roebling and Vanderbilt in the area, who also, both of them, in, joined up with various posses to track the individual down. One headline in a New York City newspaper stated, Negro kills five men. Asheville crowd may lynch suspect. That was a front page banner uh, at the time. A bloodhound by the name of Biscuit Eater, uh, using the empty whiskey bottle that was left behind by Harris, took off banging into the woods in the first round of attempts to locate Mr. Harris, first going north along the Swannanoa River Road and the French Broad River, then going back south. That evening, Harris was able to continue south and found shelter in a barn in Biltmore. The next morning, got up and went about eight miles on foot into Fletcher, hiding in another barn. The word had gone out throughout the county through various methods uh, that everybody was looking for Harris and that the posses and the uh, groups were out literally beating the bushes trying to locate the killer. Information reached Asheville law enforcement that a stranger had been sighted near Fletcher and a small posse headed by Mr. Frank Jordan, a railroad agent, along with Biscuit Eater, was sent to investigate. Frank Jordan actually jumped Harris and chased him into a large laurel thicket. One of the people in the posse discharging a shotgun blast that hit Harris who returned fire. The posse surrounded the thicket and taking cover called for reinforcements. The Asheville Police Department, when they received the information, commandeered a train in Asheville and rushed to Fletcher with nearly 100 men, including several armed members of the press, and they covered the thicket with an assortment of firearms and weapons. Harris was ordered by Mr. Jordan to surrender. Will Harris replied with a 303 high-powered round. The command of fire was Jordan's response, and a deafening volley of over 500 rounds is what's estimated was fired into the bush and into the brush. The silence was followed by a cheer until, until the leader of the posse, Mr. Frank Jordan, yelled out, No cheering, men. He's dead. The official count by the coroner was 100 bullet wounds to the body. The body was taken back to Asheville by wagon. Arriving back in Asheville, a coroner's inquest was called. Soon there were some serious questions as to the identity, the real identity, of the dead man. The sheriff of Mecklenburg County was had been notified that they possibly had Will Harris in the area and he was already en route 
when Will Harris was killed, arrived in time for the coroner's inquest. The inquest was held at 8 p.m. at the funeral home of Harris, Baird, and Company. Pearl Maxwell was brought in and she identified the man as the one who shot Patrolman Blackstock from her room on Valley Street. She stated she did not know his name. She had never seen him before the night of the murders when she met him the first time in a restaurant and then left and then when Will Harris located her or tracked her down to her apartment. Railway detectives Jordan Wells and Gasperson and a William Robertson members of the group who were in who had caught up with Harris testified to the manner of the killing and that was documented in the coroner's report. Sheriff Wallace of Mecklenburg County then was examined the body. The sheriff stated that the deceased height, build, and color was correspondent with those of Will Harris but that his features were somewhat different and that he could not identify the body as belonging to Will Harris. A gentleman by the name of Squire J.P. Hunter, also of Charlotte, who had come with the sheriff and had known and had confrontations with Will Harris, said he was positive the man was not Will Harris that had been shot. Another gentleman, an African-American man by the name of Eli White, identified and testified that although he had not seen the man for many years, he was certain he was a Rafe Lindsay of York, South Carolina. A pair of eyeglasses that were supposedly purchased in Union, South Carolina, were found on the body. And that was the only evidence that really backed up that speculation. Although, based on the incidents in question, the shooter no doubt had no need for glasses for distance viewing. Uh, his shooting skills and accuracy little too good to be chalked up to just good luck. After a brief deliberation, the coroner's jury gave the following verdict. Quote, We the undersigned, duly summoned by the coroner of Buncombe County to hold an inquest over the body of Will Harris, alias Rafe Lindsay, we define the following facts and record the following as our verdict. Whereas Will Harris, alias Lindsay, on account of unprecedented murder and crimes had been duly according to law declared an outlaw by his honor Oliver Allen judge holding superior court in Buncombe County North Carolina that said Will Harris alias Lindsay had come to his death at the hands of public spirited citizens who at the time were in the fearless and unselfish discharge of a public duty, that the law might be vindicated and justice administrated, that said Will Harris, alias Lindsay, at the time of his death was resisting arrest and attempting to shoot and kill the citizens above referred to, thus causing the posse who were attempting under the authority of law to effect the capture of said Will Harris, alias Lindsay. Point three, the citizens above referred as the consulting posse aforesaid, as well as others who participated in the search and spontaneous efforts to bring to justice the incarnate fiend and desperado, 
are entitled to the commendation and thanks of the whole community. Jury rendered this verdict November 16, 1906. Israel Cox, Ivy Barrier, and Wilson Spears were the names that I could pull off the jurors' inquest from the court records. A railroad man referred to as Captain Bird of Virginia, when shown the corpse after the inquest was over and before the body left town, identified the man as having worked for him on a railroad construction project about two weeks ago, stating he went by the name of James Harvey, but was called by the other workers on his crew, Alabama. Now, what is the real identity and name of the dead man? No one seemed to be positive at the time. Many suggest that he was really the outlaw Will Harris and was forced to change his name after escaping from prison many times. When he started on his rampage, in sure defiance, he proclaimed his real name in anger and rage. And of course, if that was the case, he might as well be hung for a dozen murders as for the five committed in Asheville, according to the Gazette. Now, whoever the outlaw was, he was quickly taken from the city and buried in an unknown location. A follow-up later by the Gazette, when people were inquiring what had happened to the body of Will Harris, but supposedly he was buried. One article I read from 1906 stated he was shipped back to Charlotte. Another article I read stated that he was buried locally somewhere in the Asheville area. Eventually, officials assured themselves that he was Will Harris, most probably. That kind of closed the case on Will Harris. Will Harris had a very expansive criminal history of various crimes and assaults and murders throughout the state of North Carolina and into South Carolina, according to some of the newspaper articles. All this is available online. If you want more information, I would suggest you read uh, Mr. Terrell's book on the Will Harris murders. You can find it on Amazon and a few other locations uh, on the web. Or you can also find my books. My first book, Cop and Coin, available on Amazon.com, as well as available on my website that Victoria will, will tell you about in just a minute. My newest book coming out in this coming week, Cop and Copperhead which is book three in the Asheville Cop series. And I hope some individuals who get that, they enjoy the reading of it. And if you do enjoy it, let me know. Or have any questions, go to my website, and you can link up with me there through the communications page. So until we meet again, for lack of a better term, this is 542 in the blue. We'll be signing off for a little while. Thank you. It's all yours, Victoria. Five, four, three, two, one. You have been listening to the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. There you will find a link to the podcast website and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Victoria. Background theme. Mystery Sacks by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons. By Attribution 3.0.
see license www.creativecommons.org backslash licenses by 3.0.